Don't you know he's worthy to be praised? Worthy to be praised. While you're standing before our speaker comes tonight, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I um, want to remember our families that have been battling sickness this week. A lot of had strep and different things, um, stomach flus, different things like that. Let's pray. Everybody's well for this weekend. We're looking forward to our anniversary service with Brother and Sister Green on Sunday. So that's going to be tremendous. And I want everybody well and back. And I don't want to bring in no bug in here. <laughs> so I told some of them today, I said, just stay home another day. It'll be all right. Uh, also remember Sister Amber. She had a little incident with a horse today. And when a horse steps on your leg, it can hurt you. And it, she ended up having her leg, it was broken in two places, I believe, what the x-ray showed. So uh, she'll be... Uh, uh, she'll be here. Don't don't worry. She's going <laughs> to, she'll, she'll be in a wheelchair or crutches or something, but she, I guarantee you as soon as she's able, she'll be up and back in here. But but let's, let's pray for a quick healing and complete healing that this won't give her any lasting problems. And uh, I know that's uh, a lot of pain uh, in, in a break like that. So let's just pray for her today that everything will heal up very quickly for that. Amen. God can do that. So why don't we lift our hands and pray for these needs tonight. Precious Jesus, we love you and honor you in this house. Father, we just bless you. You're worthy to be praised. And now, Lord, we ask you to heal those that are battling sickness today. Strengthen their bodies, Lord. Touch them. Lord, we rebuke sickness, flu, strep, all these things that have attached itself to our people. We proclaim wholeness, wellness in Jesus' name. Lord, men broken bones tonight. God, let her heal quickly, God, and completely, and we're just going to praise you for a great, a great recovery in Jesus' name. Lord, bless our ladies that are traveling to Ladies' Conference this week. I pray, God, that you would just keep them safe as they travel, and Lord, bless them mightily in that conference. Lord, speak to their hearts, God. Give them a word, and Lord, refresh them and renew them, revive them, God, and Lord, we're going to praise you for great testimonies from that conference. Bless this service, all that's done in it. Every soul that's in this building tonight, God. You see every need, every unspoken need tonight. Lord, pray you'd bless Brother Cade as he preaches tonight. Use him for your glory, God. We're going to praise you for it. We're just privileged to be in your house. So bless tonight all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands and love the Lord for another minute. He can do it tonight. God's able. Hallelujah. What a great God. What a great God.
you believe it tonight, just clap your hands to him real good. Thankful. Seen him heal so many people so many times over and over again. So I know God can do it. Man, in a world where young people can get into so much, I'm thankful we have got a group of young people here that, that love the Lord and just love the things of the Lord and just want to do something for the kingdom. And we're excited tonight to have Brother Cade speaking to us tonight. So, brother, if you'll come on, give the Lord a hand as he comes. This is his first time preaching in here to us. We're looking forward to it. Make him good and nervous. Come on. All right. Look at that. Y'all can hear me. Thank you, Pastor, for uh, giving me this opportunity um, to speak tonight. I do not take it lightly. Um, I know a church can't save someone, but RAC came really close to saving me. So I'll always be thankful to this church, uh, to the pastor and his family for how y'all have loved me and welcomed me. So I just want to say thank you for that. Wouldn't be where I am without, without y'all. Um, I didn't get to preach while I was engaged, so I never got to say I give honor to my fine fiance. Uh, but now I'm married, so I want to say I give honor to my wonderful wife. Uh, she is definitely my better half, um, makes me a better person every day, and she helped me a lot with this. So you could probably put both our names on the screen, but we'll, 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 just, we'll just stick with mine. And my, my new family, thank you all for coming. Y'all can't get rid of me now, so... Uh, thank y'all for, for being here to support me tonight. God is good. Yeah. And all the time, it's good. Amen. So uh, while I've got y'all standing, y'all don't have to stand the entire time, but while you're standing right now, if y'all want to turn with me to Hosea uh, chapter 1, we're going to read uh, one verse from there and then two verses from chapter 3. Uh, my scripture text tonight. If you see me do this, I'm still getting used to wearing a ring, so I'm probably going to do this the majority of the time that I'm up here tonight, um, also to help with me being nervous, but it's all right. All right, Hosea chapter 1, uh, verse 2, it says, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. And then we're going to flip over to chapter 3 and uh, verse 1. Then said the Lord unto me, me, uh, referring to Hosea, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who took to other gods and loved flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an omer of barley, and an half omer of barley. And from this text, uh, I'm going to preach tonight on the prophet and the prostitute. And pastor, if you could pray over this message. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, pastor. And y'all may be seated. The first time I preached, I forgot to say that. So people stood for a really long time. So at least I got that down tonight. 
So um, reading through the Bible a lot of times, uh, and for, for someone who's spent a majority of his life trying to know the Bible more, it can, it can be tough to read it sometimes because you know what happens. You know, we know the end of the story. And so it can be tough sometimes to, to see when people are, are struggling with stuff of like, well, I would never struggle with that. You know, I would have just obeyed God fully. And I'm not like that. I look at a lot of these situations, and I'm like, I'm glad that God did not put me there. Uh, one of the ones that I definitely think about is Joseph and Mary. Joseph, I give him a lot of props. If, if, if somebody that I was engaged to showed up pregnant and said that God did it, I would have had a really hard time with that one. And uh, Joseph is a better man than I am. I'll just, I'll put it like that. Um, Another one that I think about is Paul's conversion. You know, he had been persecuting and killing Christians, and all of a sudden, he shows up to church and is friendly with everybody. I I would have had some qualms about that. I I probably would have sat in the back and maybe stayed away from him and thought they were spying on me or something. Um, And and, and another one, I know we just got past Easter, but resurrection. That's another one. I, I mean, I know Jesus said it a lot, but, I mean, just to imagine that, you know, he raised himself from the dead, and, and was walking through walls. I, I think doubting Thomas gets a bad rap. I, I probably, I, I, you could have been doubting Cade if I had been in that situation. Um, but probably one that I struggle with the most is, is a story that I read earlier, um, Hosea's marriage. Let me tell you something. If God had told me to go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, I would have struggled with that. I, I would have definitely prayed about that and, and probably looked behind me and made sure there was nobody else that God was talking to. Um, but Hosea did it, and that's, that's pretty cool of him. Um, and, and while we're on the subject of marriage, I do want to say I've been, now been married 11 days, so I know everything there is to know about marriage. <laughs> so if you have any questions or need advice, uh, you can find me after service, and uh, I'll do my best to help out. Uh, but... Uh, Marriage is a big deal. Um, it, it, we find that, you know, in the first book of the Bible and, and talk throughout it. And, and so I just want to read a couple of the times that we see marriage in the Bible just to kind of set the stage for, for what I want to talk about tonight. So the first time we really see the concept of marriage is in Genesis chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an helpmeet. For him, And if we skip down to verse 23, it says, After the woman had been made, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. If we flip to Matthew chapter 19... Probably should have bookmarked these, but it's all right. Build some anticipation for y'all. So 19, starting in verse 4, it says, He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? This is Jesus talking here. Uh, He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, or cleave in the King James, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but are one flesh. And then what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So we can see marriage is a big deal to God. 
And the last place that I'll read here is Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we spent plenty of time on this chapter in premarital counseling, so I almost have it memorized now. But uh, it's, it's kind of one of the marriage chapters in the Bible where Paul is giving instruction uh, to husbands and wives. And he repeats what we find in Genesis, starting in verse 31. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Y'all might have that memorized by the end of tonight. But, uh, and then he says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And then verse 33 says, however, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Hear that, Jordan? No, no, I'm joking. She, she is a great wife. She, she definitely respects me. Um, but in verse 32, Paul says that this is talking about Christ and the church. And we see this in Revelation where Jesus is seen as the groom and the church is his bride. And so the marriage that we experience here on earth is a reflection of what we will experience for eternity with God. So marriage is a big deal. And this is not a marriage sermon, by the way, so y'all don't have to worry about that. But talking about Hosea and his marriage, I think it's crazy how God would use something as special, powerful, you know, the first institution ever created to get his point across of how much he loves us. And so let's, let's dive into Hosea and his wife. So Hosea is one of the minor prophets in the Bible, um, right after Daniel, right before Joel. Uh, not much is known about him. Uh, he's a prophet. Uh, he wrote a book in the Bible. Uh, Hosea actually comes, is from the same Hebrew as Joshua and Jesus, or to save or deliver. And so we can see this a lot if, if, when you read his book of, of kind of the prophecies that he's saying. Um, but he ministered during the latter half of 8th century BC uh, in the northern kingdom, or, or Israel. And uh, this was right before captivity. But this was one of the most turbulent times um, that he found himself trying to get people to listen to him. And then his wife, Gomer, uh, again, not much known about her other than uh, who she was the daughter of. And there's a bit of... Um, disagreement about who exactly Gomer was. If you read certain translations, um, and this is where I got my title from, is that it says, God says to go and marry a prostitute. Whereas in the King James and other translations, it says to take yourself a wife of whoredom. So some people think she was already a prostitute when they got married, and other people believe that she became unfaithful during their marriage. And I don't know the right answer. If you do, um, I'd be happy to, to figure that out. But for the purposes of tonight and, and the message that I have is we're going to go with that she was faithful at the beginning of the marriage. My mouth gets really dry when I preach, so I'm probably going to go through all this tonight. So, so we see in, in Hosea chapter 1, and, and I didn't give you these verses because I'm just going to kind of read through it but that after the Lord gives Hosea this word, go take thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredoms, departing from the Lord. So in this time, Israel has broken away from their relationship with God. They have been unfaithful to God. Uh, they have either gone to worship Baal or have forgotten the lifestyle that got them to where they were. And so 
It says that he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, which conceived and bare him a son. And that's important that she bear him a son. And if you're thinking about naming your kids, I would not recommend uh, doing Hosea chapter 1 for, for the names of your kids. But the first one is Jezreel. So this first son that she bears to Hosea, it says, For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And so then it says, And she conceived again and bare a daughter. Now notice here, it doesn't say she bare him a daughter. She bare a daughter. And theologians believe that this is when Gomer's unfaithfulness began and that she conceived this son with another man. And, but Hosea was still responsible for this child. And so God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel. So her name means no mercy. And then finally, he, there is a, a third son, and again, this is not Hosea's child, but again, believed to be from another man, and his name is Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. So Hosea had a faithful wife. He married her, they had a son together, and somewhere along the way, she went away from him and found herself having children with other men. And what's crazy is that Hosea knew this was going to happen. You know, from the beginning, God told him, you're going to go marry a wife of whoredom, and she's going to give you children of whoredom. You're, this, this marriage of yours is not going to be what you would expect it to be. But Hosea did it anyway, and, and for that, I give him props. And it's actually speculated that this was the end of his ministry. If you read chapters 4 through 14 of Hosea, it's a lot of prophecies, a lot of charges against Israel for all the things that they've done. And it is speculated that after giving all that and nobody listening to him, Hosea finally then had this grand metaphor to show what was really happening in Israel with this marriage. And, and you could almost see it as the climax of his ministry was this marriage to Gomer. So Hosea knew what he was getting into. He knew that he would marry someone and that it would not go how he would want it to. And this is a lot how God is with us. You know, God is omniscient. He knows the beginning from the end because he is, like we sang tonight, he is Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He who was and is and is to come. So God knows what he's getting into with us. He, he knows the heartbreak that we're going to cause him. He knows how we're going to say, oh, I'll never do that again, and then do it again and again and again. Um, he knows how we'll walk towards him and then walk away over and over, and he still chooses us. This is, this is a pattern seen in Judges, um, and kind of where the book gets its name from, is that the people of Israel would sin. Bad stuff would happen to them because that's what happens when you sin. And then they would feel bad, and they would pray and call out to God, and because God is faithful and merciful, he would hear them. There would be some sort of repentance. There would be some sort of restoration, and all would be good, and then they would sin again, and the whole cycle would start over. And a lot of times this is mirrored in our lives, is we have some kind of, come to Jesus moment, 
um, at an altar or, or elsewhere, and we dedicate our lives to God, and, and we say, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to go there. I'm never going to say that. I'm never going to engage in that activity. But then we find ourselves there. And it's not a good feeling. Um, but despite that, God loves us. He's through, he sees through every bad decision we make, every mistake we make, and loves us with a reckless, unconditional, incomprehensible, mind-blowing love. Every time that we make a promise to God and break it, he keeps his. Every time we are unfaithful, God is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and we see kind of how he feels about us, and we find this in Hosea chapter 2. Um, we'll start in verse 14. The first half of this chapter is talking about all the things that Israel has done, and it's not great. Um, yeah, they, they were not doing what they needed to do, and uh, yeah, just, just not great. But it, it turns in verse 14, and so this is God talking about the people of Israel, and he says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, or I will bring her. And it says, I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably or tenderly unto her. If we skip down to verse 19, it says, and again, this is God speaking, and I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. And the know here is an intimate sort of know. It's not just, oh, yeah, I know, I know about that. It's to know. It's to know someone. And then we skip down to verse 23. It says, And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. And so we can see how Jesus feels about the people of Israel. That no matter what they've done, if we read the list of charges that they had done, that they had gone to other gods, they had gone to Baal, they had gone to idols, they had walked away from the lifestyle that they said they'd never walk away from. And Jesus, instead of saying, well, I'm just going to sit and wait back and you know, eventually they'll realize the mistake they made, he says, I will allure her. And in that way that he's chasing after them. And that's the same thing that God does with us, is that there, there's a constant chasing you know, his grace, his mercy, his love, it doesn't just sit back and, and wait for us to realize the mistakes we've made, but it chases after us. It runs after us. And it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't have to because it's readily available for each of us. Theologians agree that Hosea had the most intimate connection with God based on the, the verbiage and the language that he used. And a lot of people say this is due to him experiencing God's love and mercy firsthand through this marriage to Gomer. Because he put himself in God's shoes, um, not my Nike Air Maxes that I'm showing off tonight, probably some kind of sandals, but uh, put himself in God's shoes and showed love and mercy. And, and we see this, um, back, or we see this in, in chapter 3 in, in my opening text from tonight. But it says, Go yet, love a woman, be loved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. 
So in, for, in context here is that Gomer has walked away from Hosea at this point. She is not with him. She is not living in his house. She is not really his wife in, in what we would consider that to be. And that's why in verse 2 it says, So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an omer of barley and half and an half omer of barley. Now, 15 pieces of silver was not a lot of money in that time. Uh, Judas only sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which in, in, in that time was pretty consistent for the price for a bondservant or a slave. So at this point, Gomer had found herself in such a desperate situation that all Hosea had to pay for was 15 pieces of silver, or half what a bondservant would have cost in that time. And this is similar to how we find ourselves. For the wages of sin is death. And so we find ourselves in this place where, you know, in Gomer's situation, she wasn't happy with the life that she had, and so she threw herself to the world. She threw herself to these men, hoping that she would find something that she wasn't finding with Hosea, and it left her in a worse situation than she was. And anyone who has walked away from a life with God will, will tell you that's, that's where you find yourself. You find yourself in a place where you never thought you'd be feeling worthless, like you have nothing to offer God. But Jesus, but God, but Jesus paid for us with his blood, the most precious thing in the universe. So although we feel like nothing, and God could have got us back for nothing. For each and every single one of us, he paid his blood. The most priceless, valuable thing that has ever existed is what Jesus said you were worth on the cross. And so no matter what you've done, no matter where you find yourself, you're worth everything to God. One of the best examples of, of God's love that we find in Scripture is the prodigal son. And, and anyone who's spent any time in church um, knows this story. It's in Luke 15, so I'm not going to read through it. But we see here where the younger son takes his inheritance, takes some kinds of, of value from his father, and goes and spends it on what the Bible calls riotous living. But he goes and wastes it. He, he takes what his father has given him, and waste it, and finds himself in pig slop, which I never found myself in pig slop, but it kind of felt like it sometimes. And, and he has a come-to-himself moment. And he says, I'd be at least a servant in my father's house. I'm not worthy to be his son anymore, but at least I can be a servant. And, and so how Gomer was worth less than a servant, at least this son has some kind of, you know, self-awareness where he's like, well, I'm, I'm at least a servant. I, I can at least, you know, be of some value. And so he goes back to his, his dad, and, and, you know, on the way, he, he's rehearsing. He's like, all right, I've, I've done this. I've been bad, but at least let me be a servant. At least let me be of some service to you. And his, his father runs to him, doesn't sit back and wait, and say, yeah, he's going to come back sometime, and, and boy, is he, is he going to get a talking to? Is he going to get a whooping? Uh, but he was ran to. He was hugged. He was kissed. 
He was given a robe, a ring, and sandals, and a party was thrown in his favor. His father said, I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I know the things you've said. I know the places that you've gone. I know the things you've done. But none of that matters. And again, it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, we can't wrap our head around it and, and we put ourselves in those situations and be like, oh, I'd, I'd give him a talking to and I'd, I'd tell him, I'd give him a piece of my mind and I'd tell him exactly why he doesn't belong here. But God doesn't do that. And it's because of, of how he sees us as his children, as his sons and daughters, as a father. There's a special bond between a father and his children where it doesn't matter what they do, it doesn't matter what they say, that they'll always be his child. And that's how God sees us, is that there's this love there, that it doesn't make sense. We, we, we can write songs about it, we can talk about it, I can preach about it, but it will never fully make sense to us. The Bible really, if you think about it, is one long love story, from Genesis to Revelation, where God creates people, and he created people for relationship. We were never created to be mindless drones, just, you know, I would do the robot, but that would be embarrassing, so I'm just going to keep walking. But uh, we're never meant to be mindless drones, just obeying his every command. He created us so that we would choose him, that we would look at all the options that are around us and say, the best thing for me is God's love that the world can offer all that it has and all the fake love that we see on social media, that we see on different things. And, and we can look at that and say, that's what I want. But God, he, he made a bet. He said, I'm going to give you that and I'm going to give you my love. And 10 times out of 10, I bet you're going to choose my love. And not everybody does. And, and, and that's, that's tough. Because knowing God's love, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like experiencing God's love. There's, no, there's nothing like walking in his love. You know, in the garden, in paradise, Adam and Eve walked with the Lord daily so that when they were hiding themselves, God had to say, hey, where are y'all at? I don't, I don't see y'all. And because God knew where to look for them. God knew that he should be communing with them. And that's the same thing that God wants for us. He wants to know us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to know how your day went even though he knows how your day went. He wants you to want to tell him how your day went. And that's tough. I've tried that, and, and I just feel weird. I'm like, all right, God, so I did this today. And I'm like, but you already know that. And then I did this, and then I thought that, and I almost did that. But wait, you already, why, am I, why am I telling you this? But he wants that. He, he wants to know everything about you. Because that's how cre he created you. He knows how many hairs are, are on your head, which for some is, is more or less than others. Um, I won't make eye contact for that one. I'll, I'll look down. Uh, he, he formed you. He knew you in the womb. He formed you exactly the way you are because he wants to love you. And, and again, I'm just mind blown. You know, I think about God's love, and I think about how good he's been. And I don't deserve it. You know, honestly, I could probably just preach reckless love to you. I know we sang that Sunday. I, I will preach it, not sing it, so... Um, People don't get out of the spirit, but, um, you know, it doesn't make sense. We can't earn it. 
We don't deserve it. There's nothing we could do in our human flesh to deserve God's love. And that's what makes it so special. Because, God, because as humans, we want to do stuff to earn things. We want to say, look at my achievements. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. I deserve this. And God knew that when he created us. And so he gave us something that we could never earn. We will never be worthy of God's love. But God thinks we are. It said that the two most important things a man can think, or the two most important things are what a man thinks of God and what a man thinks God thinks of himself. And that's hard to to imagine how God sees us because we can get so stuck in in day-to-day life. We can get so stuck in the mistakes that we make and, and, and where we don't think anything good of ourselves. You know, we're like, Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. And and we can talk about ourselves like that. But God doesn't talk about us like that. God's not up in heaven like, oh, well, Kate did that again. So another check against him. Or, or, you know, I just knew he was going to do that. And and, and I just, I don't know what I'm going to do with him. He does know. He's going to love me. And he's going to love each and every one of us. Because that's who God is. God is love. That's it. God is love. And the entire story of the Bible is his redeeming us, is him showing us his love so that when we get to Revelation, he can have a bride that's spotless, a bride that is going to spend eternity with him. It's like he says in Hosea that I will betroth thee unto me forever, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, forever and ever. And that's what God wants. He wants to love us forever. Heaven is going to be one big wedding party. That's what it is. If you want to know what heaven's going to be like, it's going to be one big wedding party where we are celebrating our marriage to Jesus for all of eternity. I'll, uh, I'll come to a close if the musicians want to make their way up here. Uh, that'll speed me up. Um, but I'll come to a close with arguably my favorite story in the Bible, and this is the woman at the well. And... This is found in John chapter 4 of my Bible. I hope it's in yours too. Um, but John chapter 4, and again, I won't read it. I'll just kind of paraphrase it and make my way through it. But um, it was interesting when I, w- I was kind of looking into this that, you know, this might not necessarily be the prophet and the prostitute that I got for my title of Jose and Gomer, but it is strikingly similar. You know, this woman is definitely of a scandalous reputation. Um, she, I mean, and, and this is obvious because she's fetching water at noon, uh, the hottest part of the day, because she knew no one else would be there. She didn't want anybody else to see her. And, and for those who don't know, we'll, we'll find out why in a second. And at one point, she calls Jesus a prophet. So it might not be the prophet and the prostitute, but it's kind of close. So there's that. Um, but, but more than who they are, it's, it's the nature of their interaction that I want to focus on. So here's a woman who's been married five times, and now she's cohabitating, shacking up, whatever you want to call it, um, with the sixth dude. And she is doing her darndest to stay out of public eye because she knows how they talk about her. She knows what everybody thinks of her. She hears it everywhere she goes. She hears the whispers. She sees people giving her side eyes. And, and not wanting anything to do with her. She sees it. She knows it. And so she's staying away from that. She just wants to be by herself. 
And, it, and, and even so much so that as Jesus comes and talks to her, she doesn't even want Jesus to talk to, talk to her. I, I can imagine as Jesus says, give me a drink, that she's, you know, looking down, doesn't want to make eye contact, and is like, you don't want to talk to me. What are you doing talking to me? But as they talk and, and Jesus starts to reveal who he is to her, everything changes. And, and it gets to a point where Jesus tells her, he says, you've been married five times, you're living with this dude who's not your six. I know that, but I'm still here. I'm still talking to you. I still want to give you living water so that you never have to thirst again. And she says, sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. And, and eventually Jesus tells her he's the Messiah. And at this point in his ministry, she was the first person Jesus revealed that to. He hadn't even told the disciples yet that he was the Messiah, but some woman at a well in Samaria, Jesus reveals himself to. And she goes back to the town, and I think it's really cool, it says she goes back and tells the men. She says, come found a man who told me everything I ever did. And, and, and at first glance, it's like, well, okay, you know, he told you everything you ever did. But it was so powerful because she said, he knows everything I ever did and he still wants me. He knows everything I've been through, everything I've said, everywhere I've gone, and he still wants to talk to me. He wants to give me living water. He wants to spend eternity with me. Come see a man. This woman thought she was worth nothing. She thought she had nothing to offer, nothing of value, that she had nothing, that she was worth nothing, that she was nothing, that her life was a whole bunch of nothingness. But Jesus showed her that she was worth everything. If you, it says before, it says that Jesus, it says he had needs to go through Samaria, that he went exactly where he was going for her. He could have gone any other way. He could have gone around it like most Jews did. He could have gone to a different well, but he went through Samaria to a certain well for a certain woman. If you don't get anything else from my message tonight, God loves you. And I don't know who needed to hear this tonight, but Jesus loves you more than you know, more than you could ever imagine, more than ever you could ever comprehend. There's nothing you can do to hide from his love, nothing you can do to hide from God. He will find you, not in a weird way, but he will find you. Is it, is it Liam Neeson? Yeah, he's not like Liam Neeson. He'll find you. Hagar in the Bible, uh, this is Abraham's, we'll say, concubine, um, Sarah's maidservant. After she had been thrown out from Abraham and Sarah's camp, she went to go hide. She went and hid in the shade and was just ready to die. But God found her and showed her that even though people had thrown her out by the decisions that hadn't, she hadn't even made, had been forced on her, that he still saw her and he still had a future for her. And Hagar is actually the first person in the Bible to name God. She says, for he is the Lord who sees. And that's where we are today. The Lord sees you. He sees exactly where you are right now in Winterville, Georgia. He sees everything you've done. He sees everything you will do. He knows the thoughts you think, the things you're gonna do, 
Some of the things you do that you wish you didn't do. Some of the things you say that you wish you could take back and put in the toothpaste tube, but you can't because that's just how it is. But he sees you. And he loves you. And my last scripture tonight um, is, is one of our favorite ones, but Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. This is Paul writing here, and the same Paul that says, I'm the chief of sinners, the same Paul that says that he does what he doesn't want to do, the same Paul that says he has no idea how he's doing what he's doing. And in verse 38, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. I mean, if you can think of something that's in there that Paul didn't mention, then I guess that's, that can separate you from the love of God. But I don't find anything. Nor things present, nor things to come. No matter where you find yourself today, no matter where you are in this present moment, that can't separate you from God's love. No matter how you think of yourself, no matter how you think when you lay down in bed and it's just you and your thoughts, no matter how you imagine God thinks of you, it's better, I can promise you. And it says, nor things to come. No matter what you're going to do, the things that you can't even imagine that you're gonna find yourself in, that can't do it. You can't get high enough. You can't get low enough. Nothing. Nothing can get in the way of God's love for you. It's crazy. It, it, it really does. It blows my mind. And, 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 and sometimes it hurts to think about it. You know, you get a little headache or a little brain bump from just trying to imagine God's love. That, that the creator of the universe, you know, big G God, who created everything that we will ever experience, created you. That the same person who created the Grand Canyon, which did not make me cry this time, but it did the first time. Um, the same person who created that and all the mountains and all the rivers and all the oceans and all the seas and all the billions and trillions of stars and galaxies created you and loves you more than, more than you know. More than you know. It's, it's, it's an astounding love. It's a reckless love. It doesn't make sense. If, if, if we were to talk about the things that God should have done to us, we'd all be dead. It, it, it would not be pretty for us if God gave us what we deserve. And so, as I come to a close tonight, I don't know who needed to hear this. I really don't. Maybe it was just me. Maybe I was preaching to myself, and, and, and y'all, you know, are, are just here. But um, God loves you. And no matter where you find yourself right now, no matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter where you find yourself a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, a decade from now, wherever you find yourself, God loves you. He sees you. He wants to know you. He, he wants to have that relationship with you that changes everything. Where, where you say, you know, take the world and give me Jesus. Because his love changes everything. 
You know, he talked about the mention of his name or that when he enters into a room, but God's love changes everything, everything. You think about the worst situation that you could find yourself in and God's love is bigger. You know, God is bigger than the boogeyman and he's bigger than your situation too. I keep saying I'm gonna come to a close and I keep talking. So maybe I'll just keep talking, but I, I want you to know that God loves you. Never doubt it. Never doubt how God feels about you. Even in the worst moments that you think of yourself, God still loves you. And so as, as we open up these altars tonight, if you wanna come down here, you can. You can stay at your seat. But I just want us to soak in God's love, to experience God's love. And, and if you have to say to yourself, God loves me, just say that over. If you have nothing else to say, you can just say, God loves me, this I know. Jesus loves me, this I know. And just say that over and over again to remind yourself. And as that love comes in, and as you experience God's love, his presence will sweep throughout it because God is love. So where his love is present, God is present. And where God is present, things change.